Well, hello there, strangers. It's Julie, and I'm back after, wow, a month's hiatus on recording episodes. And let's see, today is, well, hi, I'm Julie, and this is You're in Charge. And what am I talking about today? Um, I think health, more specifically mental health, but I... I'm going to approach it a little bit differently. Sorry if you hear my dog in the background. I just needed to, he's chewing on some sort of a treat and I needed to get him in uh, so that he wasn't barking at the neighbors. But um, yeah, so mental health, it's its all the buzz. You know, like everybody talks about mental health and oh, if, if we were approaching mental health and, and if, if we just looked at it this way and if we, you know, diagnosed it such and such, it's, it's all very clinical. It's all very, um, I, I want to use the term defensive, meaning it's not proactive. It's not, nobody's trying to work the preemptive strike except to say, you know, mental health on a negative positive spin, if you know what I mean. So prevent suicide. Um, well, suicide's pretty negative. Um, and prevention of it, while it seems like it's a positive, and, and I'm absolutely endorsing that for sure, it's not exactly what, taking care of mental health. So what is mental health? And I think that that's the thing that we overlook that we don't really know how to answer because we know what mental unhealth looks like, mental disease or, you know, sicknesses or however you want to term it. We know how that responds. We know that that ends up with terms like anxiety and depression and bipolar and, you know, school shootings and uh, like all those things end up with the buzzwords of mental health awareness. But if we're actually talking about mental health, then what we're talking about is not talking about it. Because when mental health is really there, we don't need to talk about it. So that's kind of what I want to get at today. And I don't know if, how well I'll do <laughs> Let's, let's just see. I'm just rolling with this. So I've been having discussions, many discussions, many people around anxiety and depression. It, it, it doesn't matter what age. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic status. Everybody's dealing with some level of anxiety and depression. So what I want to approach today is more resistance to depression and anxiety, more associating with it, having it be the story of who you are. And where I started with this um, episode was probably three weeks ago in my mind. And what was happening was I was seeing um, people that I've known and loved for a very long time talking, the mother talking about the daughter. And she said, look at her figure. Isn't it great? Something to that effect. And I know this daughter 
to not be the ideal body type. And that's not to say that her body type was not a good body type, but it is definitely not societal ideal. I would probably equate her more to, hmm, a horse rider's body, a gymnast's body, you know, the ones with like really solid thighs and a really solid ass. And it's not to say that they're fat because if you've ever seen any of those top notch floor gymnasts, all their power resides in their thighs and their ass and their, and their core really. But like, that's where you see it. And I'm certain that they've heard many times over that they're too fat. And that's not the case. Their body is doing exactly what their body is meant to do. So a horse rider's body would be meant to have also that, mu- that muscle and that tone in the legs and the butt so that they can keep control, so they can ride high on the horse and, and be solid athletes that way. So that's more her, her body type. What her body type is right now is closer to a Barbie doll, but it's not because she has broad shoulders as well. So her teeth literally don't fit inside of her head right now. Like it, it, there's something that looks off and I wanted to ask the question, but it was just a a tender footing situation. What's she doing differently? Because there's also the comment of, wow, I wish I had her energy. And I'm thinking, well, where is she getting her energy from? Because she never had it when I knew her, not like this. So what is deemed as good, positive, wanted, desired, whatever, however you want to term it, is actually more than likely really unhealthy for this particular person, for her body type. And the, the thought that I had around this was about making up your mind and changing your mind. And I'm just, I just keep visualizing this whole thing in a, in a circle and it's not necessarily going to make sense to you. But when I saw those words, make up your mind, change your mind, and also thinking about this body type and what I was experiencing, because she's, I'm sure she's getting positive feedback from her mother and a lot of other people as well. Wow, you look great. Hey, you know, what are you doing differently? Blah, 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 blah. Well, what if she's taking diet pills or cocaine? What if there's something really not good that she's doing? And I don't know what she's doing. I I really don't. So this isn't a judgment. This isn't like, oh my God, don't do this. I'm just using it as an example. But when, when you say make up your mind and change your mind, people always say, oh, I can't. Well, here's, here's what I finally saw, which is we don't use the phrase make up mind or change mind. 
we use the possessive your. So that right there says you possess the ability to change your mind or to make up your mind. Therefore, you are not your mind. But we identify so strongly with our mind. We identify as our mind is telling us something or we try to figure it out or solve it or we identify with the story around it. Whatever it is, whatever we're seeing as the issue, the problem, the challenge, the what have you. So going back to mental health, the issue is, oh, we don't have mental health. So let's figure this out. Well, actually, that's the very thing that I want to propose not doing. As soon as we see a problem, there is a problem. As soon as we are facing the problem, that's the focus, is the problem. And therefore, you may very well be turning your back on the release of that problem, the moving through the issue, the perceived issue. So in the case of depression, which has been a a constant conversation, like I said, with any and all age groups, societal groups, male, female, doesn't matter. But the quest always seems to come from somebody, whether it's the actual person who's experiencing depression or the people surrounding the person experiencing depression. The question is, how do we get them out of it? And I'm going to suggest something that's probably pretty radical or controversial. And I'm going to say, don't. I'm going to say, go into the depression. And what do I mean? Well, if we see everything on a ladder, say 10 rungs, one to 10, I'm sure I've repeated the one to 10 scale so many times, but I want you to visualize a ladder and depression being on the first or second rung of that ladder. And up up at the 10th one is joy, happiness, you know, abundance. You're really excited about your day, that type of livelihood. And you are at one or two and you want to get up to 10. Most everybody says, okay, jump to 10. What would happen if you were physically on a ladder and you tried to jump from one rung up nine rungs or even two rungs up eight rungs? You guarantee, unless you are some sort of world-class rock climbing athlete or parkour, you know, like unbelievable Spider-Man type athletics, I guarantee you're not going to end up even on rung three or four. You are going to have slipped, knocked the hell out of your face and the rest of your body and ended up not on rung one or two, but on the ground underneath of the ladder. And that's what I've realized psychologically, emotionally, mentally, all of it. When you put yourself on a scale of one to 10, sizing it up 
just giving yourself a litmus test of wherever you're at. As soon as you try to jump rungs, you guarantee that you will end up below the rung that you started on. It's almost like just laws of gravity, except apply it to your mental space. So what I'm suggesting isn't to say, I am going to be depressed forever. What I'm saying is like, there's a resistance to feeling crappy. Understandably, you feel crappy. You don't want to feel crappy. But as soon as you push against that thing that you don't want, it has you. It has you in its grips. So if you're depressed and you're like, wow, I'm really depressed, like can't get out from underneath of the covers. I'm suggesting that you say, you know what? I'm going to allow myself to be under the covers. I am going to actively try to stay under these covers. And then I want you to just really get in there and put yourself under those covers and say, I'm staying here for the next 10 hours straight. I don't even think I'm going to get up to go to the bathroom. I'm just going to stay here. And maybe 10 hours isn't enough. Maybe you need to say like three days. Yep, I'm going to stay here. And what starts to happen inside of your body, if you follow it slowly, is your body says, I don't want to stay here. You say, yeah, no. Your mind says, no, we're going to stay here. We're going to stay here. And your mind goes, yeah, no, no, yeah. And your body and your mind start to kind of argue. And the next thing you know is you don't actually want to stay there. So it's kind of putting reverse psychology on yourself. It's, but not psyching yourself out. Genuinely, try to stay there. Try to really, truly be depressed. Really, truly try to be anxious. Like, get into how your body tightens, where you feel it. Like, does your body start to sweat? Are you, are, like, are there certain, do your toes crinkle? Do, your, do, your, do you start wringing your hands? Are, do you start to, like, twist an earring? Or, like, what are your signs that you're anxious or depressed and or both and go directly to them and start to just be there. And I'm even going to say, get curious if you can. But in doing that, you are accepting that you're on rung one or rung two of the ladder. And acceptance is the very first thing to being able to change to the next rung, up or down, doesn't matter. But that just catapults you up a little bit further. So mental health, I don't know, it's 
it's a buzzword. Like I said, it's, it's a buzz phrase. It's a, it's a way that we can identify with our problems more. And you aren't your problems. None of us are our problems. But when we start to look at it like other people aren't feeling this, or if they're feeling it, they're not feeling it like I feel it, or they've been in it far less, or they, they have reason to be. I don't really have reason to be. It doesn't matter what you label it or compare it or how you size it up. You are experiencing depression or anxiety or some other undesirable emotional state. I mean, and I even hesitate to call it an emotional state because is depression an emotion? I'm not sure because it's like, really I'm asking the question as I'm, as I'm asking, well, I'm asking it of myself, I'm asking it of you. Like, if you, you can depress the gas pedal or the brake on your car. Isn't that a physical action? But being depressed says you're suppressing something. You're pushing it down. So depression seems like more of an action to me than an emotion. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that if you're depressed, like you're not depressed, that's not really an emotion. Mm-mm. Don't misunderstand me. I'm certain you're feeling something quite negative, quite heavy, debilitating. And yeah, I've been there. I've absolutely been there. I have been in some very dark spaces in my life and I've come out the other side. And so that's why I can talk to you about it is I'm not saying this from a place of me holding a notebook and pen and peering over the tops of my glasses at you. I'm saying this from a, a place of, well, I got out of it because in the space that I was in, I didn't think very much of myself and I still, and I still work to think highly of myself. I have come eons further than where I was, but I still always have work to go. And my self-worth was absolutely in the dumpster. Absolutely. Like, I didn't see a thing good about me. And I knew I couldn't get out of my depression for me, by me. I knew I needed something outside of me to get me up, to get me out. And I knew myself well enough to know that. So I got myself a puppy and I knew that the things that I needed to do to get myself out of the depression were eat right, hydrate, get outside and get some exercise. And those are all the things that the puppy needed too. So when the puppy needed walking, I was walking. When the puppy needed to eat, I would eat. Not the kibble, but I would eat human food. And then I also got something in return, which was love. 
And that was the thing that I felt so removed from that was causing my depression for, well, I think that might be an oversimplification, but, but yeah. And really it wasn't for lack of love outside of me. It was for lack of love inside of me. Like I said, I didn't see myself as worthwhile at all. And that puppy brought to me the unconditional love that I, that I truly needed. And so I could build myself up and I, you know, then I went to therapy and I worked my way out of it. And for me, um, I, I'm an incredibly sensitive, um, physical being. Well, I'm sensitive in, on all levels. I, I'm kind of the canary in the cavern. But when medicines, synthetics especially, are put into my body, I tend to, my body tends to not like it. So I found homeopathy. And that's what really got me out of my depression. Um, I highly recommend finding a, a well-practiced, well-versed homeopath, osteopath, naturopath, like whatever jives with you. And if you need to use, you know, prescription meds, then do it. If that works for you, I am not here to tell you any way, any medical advice or what you should or should not do. I'm here as a coach saying, you're the expert in your life. You know you best. You are the one that is with you 100% of the time. You know if you have sensitivities. You know if you have allergic reactions. You know what's best for you. So please do that. Whatever is going to support you. Don't try to make it a life sentence. So if, if you're on some sort of medication, please don't plan to be on it for the rest of your life. That's not what they're meant for. They're meant to help move you through. So what's the next step after you start taking that? How else can you support yourself? Where else can you provide that needed su support? Where's your team? Where's your village? Who are they? Where are they? Is it one? Is it none? Does it need to be you? Do you need to find a therapist? So on and so forth. If it's not working, keep trying. Not keep trying with the same people if they're not working. You keep trying different ways to get your needs met. Validate yourself. Understand that you're not crazy. Understand that there is a thing that I refer to as the majority rule. It means the most people in the room believe the same thing. It doesn't mean that they are right. It means that they believe the same thing. And that's it. Do you believe that? Do you not believe that? Focus on what works for you. So the reason it's been like a month for me in making podcasts is I ended up uh, taking a pretty random trip to England. And it was an amazing trip. 
it was huh, a combination of business and pleasure, but I was guiding somebody else who was legally blind. I was his eyes. And I enjoyed the hell out of myself. But then I got home and all that travel and all that hubbub and planes, trains, automobiles and um, meeting new people and having all these new experiences took its toll on me. Between jet lag and hay fever and taking care of somebody else and also trying to make sure that my needs are taken care of and that my boundaries are set. It wore me out and it was a fabulous experience and I still have so much more unpacking to do and I don't mean that literally in my suitcase like that was unpacked and done lickety split but there was so much that I learned. There's so much that happened for me that is going to add to my career and where I'm going in, in this world. And, and it was completely unexpected. Like it just literally, it dropped into my lap about three weeks prior. So first week in April and by the last week in April, I'm on a plane. That's pretty quick when you're talking about a trip to England and trying to plan it with conjunc- in conjunction with somebody else. So there was a, there's been a lot for me to tangle with. And part of that was me taking care of myself. So how do you take care of yourself when... Your body is literally waking up five hours after you went to sleep because it thinks it's time to wake up now, even though it's five in the morning, not 10 in the morning, and you're sneezing and and coughing and going it, but you're not sick, just have pollen-related issues. And this has continued, like it continued for couple of weeks and I'm still not even sure if I'm out of it entirely and it's just interesting all of the adjustments and I can't stop them from happening it's not like I'm going oh yeah time to get up like I set my alarm no my body just went time to get up so how do you listen to your body how do you listen to what you really need to do and then The day that I got back, one of my kids had a sporting event and it was an hour and a half away. Now, mind you, when I was traveling the day before, I was awake for 22 hours straight traveling, not like relaxing, not chilling in some private jet or something, sitting in coach, trying to get some rest and it didn't happen. So the idea of traveling in a car for another hour and a half the following morning to go stand on the sidelines as a mom that makes me really conflicted because I want to be there and support my kids now I'd already missed a week of sporting events for them and to some it's like yeah you know so what there's there's sporting events there are parents that are like 
I, I can't see any of my kids stuff. Never do. And then there are some people that are like, I don't miss one. So those imposed, ah, you got to go. is always niggling in the back of my head. And it was definitely niggling that day. But at the same time, I, I just, I, I told her, I said, I'm sorry, kid. I can't make it. I got to sleep. I got to figure out what's, what's up. And it was actually probably, it probably would have been pretty dangerous for me to be behind the wheel because I was so sleep deprived. And if you don't think that that's a problem, please check yourself. Uh, Like sleep deprivation, I've had some serious sleep deprivation um, in my lifetime. And there, like when my son was an infant, oh God, I think he was 11 months old before he slept through the night. There were times when I lost entire towns that I had driven through and I had no recollection of driving through them. I think it would have been safer for me to have had a six pack or a 12 pack of beer and then gotten behind the wheel. I was that sleep deprived. So take care of the sleep. That's, it's really a number one. And when we're dealing with this mental health thing, it's, it's really taking care of the baseline needs making sure you get plenty of sleep, making sure you eat healthy, well-balanced meals. Please don't be living off of cookies and chips and caffeine and soda. Those things are causing more diseases than you know. Glucose spikes are nothing to be screwed with. They, what's happening in your body is the glucose is spiking, the adrenaline, you know, rushes in, insulin, all that stuff happens. And it's like, it's like this chemical warfare juggling system going on inside of your body at all times. And when the insulin comes to calm down the glucose, it does this repeatedly. So you have your chips and your soda and all that crap, your, your glucose spikes, the insulin calms it down. And this happens for a 10 year span before you start to, to develop stuff like inflammation and insulin um, resistance. And then you end up developing stuff like diabetes, but you will see issues like rashes and acne, and uh, you will start to have like dark circles and aging lines. And um, there will be all kinds of little hints. Your joints will be stiffer. You might injure yourself um, more, brain fog. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But what I'm saying is that sugar stuff, it, it diminishes your mental health. It decreases it. It it backlogs you. So while the vegetables don't go, oh yeah, hey, let's have those. Okay. So if you're gonna have that crap food, have a protein with it. So at least your, your spikes don't happen so high. So have, I know this doesn't sound totally delectable, but some Greek yogurt with your chocolate cake. Have almonds with your cookie, like raw almonds, and that will neutralize it. I'm not saying avoid it entirely or chuck it out, 
do the things that get you one rung up on that ladder. It's just an improvement. I want you authentic, not perfect. I want you dealing with every component of you. So when I'm saying the depression and the anxiety, I'm saying that's part of you. That's part of your experience right now. And the more you try to resist it, the more you push it away, the bigger it becomes, the more cumbersome it becomes, the more challenging it becomes. So by surrendering and just saying, okay, this is where I'm at. And now I'm actually going to try and stay here. Your body will fight you and say, no, we're not staying here. And you'll be out of it that much quicker, or at least one rung further away from the darkness of it. And that is an improvement. One to 2% change. It's, it'll land you in an entirely different place. If you just keep on that trajectory, make the small improvements, but the, the, the mental health isn't so much about being healthy because I think there's different terms for healthy. Like I said, this, friend of mine, she's, she's not her version of healthy right now, but she's catering to an ideal that isn't meant for her. It not for her body type. Go for your healthy. What's your authentic self? What's your best self? What, it, what was I listening to? There was a psychology explanation. Oh, this is what I wanted to talk about. Yes. Okay. So overthinking and self-awareness are two sides of the same coin. Because it is in overthinking that we are over-identifying with our mind, with our story that we're telling ourselves. So this example that I was listening to said um, a deer would not go to, like if it, was, if it was foraging for food and it visited 10 different fields and didn't find any food, at no point is that deer going to turn in on itself and go, I am a screw up. I'm an idiot. I can't even feed myself, much less my family. I should just surrender and I'm going to pull the covers up over my head. But we do this to ourselves all the time. We think, I haven't found the right boyfriend, girlfriend. I haven't um, passed the, the classes. I haven't achieved the, the um, promotion. I haven't, you know, cleaned my house or made a Martha Stewart worthy Thanksgiving or the list goes on and on. And when we say we haven't done those things, we turn in on ourselves and say, I must be an idiot. 
I must be horrible. I'm a failure. Nobody loves me. Any of this sounding familiar? It's not true though. But what we don't consider is that we might be in the wrong environment. We might not be knocking on the right doors. And there was another story that I love, and I'd like you to adopt this one. And, I, and I'm wondering, I think I might have used this in a, in a um, podcast at least a year ago. And um, it was that there was um, an owner of a golden retriever, and he lived in an apartment. And so the, the doorbell would ring periodically for his own visitors or um, deliveries and all this stuff. And he'd lived in this place for nine years. Why I remember that it was nine years, I have no idea. But the golden retriever was with him the entire time. And every time that doorbell rang, that golden retriever's butt would wag and the tail was going and the whole body. And he was at that door like, yes, 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 yes. Somebody's here for me. They're here for me. And not once was that door ever for him. But he kept going to that door like, yes, it's going to be for me. Well, we don't do that in our lives. We just think it's never been for me, so it's never going to be for me. And that's not the truth. But if you can adopt that golden retriever attitude of Maybe this time it's going to be for me, whether it's at that door or you go to a different door and don't make the past failures or the past emotional states equate to this one not being it. So you asked for the promotion and you never got it. So that doesn't mean that you're not going to get it this time. You asked the girl out and she denied you every single time. It doesn't mean it's going to happen this time, whether it's the same girl you're asking or whether it's another girl you're asking. You can, you, you have to work to change your mind. Again, I'm going to emphasize you are not your mind. So therefore you get to change it. You get to alter your state. You get to be in a different mindset but you have to practice this. And there's all kinds of stuff out there now about meditation and, and how our minds can change and resetting and try whatever works for you. But understand that it is a muscle and it needs to be worked out. And if you do three sit-ups, you're not going to look down and go, wow, there's my six pack. Look at that. You have to keep working at that muscle in order to create the abs that you want. You also have to be aware of any injuries. Ladies, if you've had, if you've carried children to full term, you know that your abs separated, literally separated in order to make room for those babies. And then After you have that baby, you get mad at yourself because your body, you don't have that hard belly anymore. Well, do you know what you just did? You incubated an entire human being and brought it into this world. There is not a man on the planet that can do that. Literally. 
You are amazing. Your body just did that. And instead of saying, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I got cellulite and stretch marks to show for it. And no, my belly didn't go back the way that I wanted it to. Instead of looking at it like that, you're beating yourself up for not looking like a Barbie doll two seconds after giving birth. And I know that that's the fact because look at our industry. Look at our beauty magazines and social media and Hollywood and all of it. And it says this, look at this type. Be a size two with no belly and all that. Oh God, it's all right. I've gone there. I've done all that. Yeah. Tired, old, not, not even interesting. It's not even interesting, but yet we engage it and it deteriorates our mental health because we allow it, because we focus on it. Like I said, when you focus on that thing, you turn your back to the good thing, to the thing that would be the solution, to the thing that would turn your world around if you just focused on that. When we focus on the wrong things, the right things pass us by. Be it people, jobs, thought processes, money, whatever. When you focus on not having something, it's not there. There it is. It's a big hole, big empty. Look at that empty. Uh Uh-huh. Look at that nothing. There it is. But the thing that would fill that might be right behind you. And all you got to do is turn around, look at it differently. Look at what you do have. And if right now all you have is a bed to fall into with sheets on it, whoo, all right, you got a bed. Look at you. And pull those sheets up over your head and say, I'm not getting out. I'm not getting out of this bed. You can't make me. Not going to try. And see what happens. See what happens just if you surrender to what is. Just as an experiment. Just try it out. And like I said, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not even a therapist. I'm just somebody who's been there and is on the other side of it and still works through her own issues, still has her own stuff to sort through. So sort through your stuff, look through it. Because an authentic person has problems. An authentic person makes mistakes. They also are successful with things. They are also a lot of very positive attributes. So look at both sides. Don't dismiss your positive attributes. Don't dismiss where you do things well. And ladies, I'm mostly focusing on you, but men are, do it too. But we're very quick to say, oh, so-and-so was there with me too. Yeah, and you take the credit. You were there. You get to own that too. So own your successes, own where things are going well and own where they're not going well. And don't berate yourself for it. 
Just surrender and build your support team. Figure out who's there because that's, that's a really crucial component. I, it, it, don't go to the hardware store looking for bread and eggs, okay? Understand that the people that are at the hardware store, if they're providing a hammer and nails, great. If you're looking for hammer and nails, but if you're looking for bread and eggs, go to the people that provide bread and eggs. Even if one provides bread and you've got to go to another store to provide eggs. When you're looking for support from people that aren't able to give you that support, not because they don't want to, but maybe they're not even capable of it. Maybe they just don't know how. Then you're accepting things for what they are. And you can surrender to that too. It makes your life a lot easier. It's part of the healing. So I hope that this has been a worthwhile dip into mental health and change in your mind. You, you aren't your mind. You aren't the stories of failure. You aren't the stories of why somebody treated you badly, why they dismissed you, betrayed you, turned their back, whatever. It might not have been you. Take responsibility for where it might have been you, but don't over-own it. And keep looking for the sunlight. Keep looking for whatever inspires you, whatever makes you want to create something new, something great, whether it's creating a new relationship, friendship, writing a book, reading, reading a novel that you, you never got to read, whether you make something old, something new. There's a million ways to create. Do what works for you. And until next time, I'm going to leave you in charge. Take care.